Lisa, you want to come up for a few minutes? I'm sorry, Jerry. I just don't think this is going to work. Really? I thought... I know. I'm sorry. Gee, I just didn't expect it from the way you've been acting. Are you sure you want to talk about this? Because I sure don't. Of course I want to talk about it. Okay. I guess things changed for me on Tuesday night. Tuesday night? What happened Tuesday night? I saw your act. <laughs> My act? Well, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, to be honest, it just didn't make it for me. It's just so much fluff. <laughs> I can't believe this. So, so what are you saying? You didn't like my act? So that's it? I can't be with someone if I don't respect what they do. You're a cashier! <laughs> Jerry, it just it wasn't my kind of humor. You, you can't go by the audience. That night it was late. They were terrible. I heard the material. I, I have other stuff. You should come see me on the weekend. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Seinfeld, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. I am Dando. I am Guy. Very nice to be here to be uh, talking about the second season of Seinfeld. We blazed through season one. Admittedly, there wasn't too much of it, but uh, yeah, we're uh, we're back talking about Seinfeld. I'm, I was really quite happy with this episode, to be honest. This felt very Seinfeld to me. Yeah, I think for the first time doing this podcast, I felt like I'm reviewing the real Seinfeld. If that makes sense, you know, because the first season was just really a test run, you know, and then they got renewed for a proper full second season. They're like, all right, let's get this show on the road. Let's um, let's do some serious stuff. And uh, this episode, like you just said, felt so much like the Seinfeld we all know and love, particularly George. I think George was, uh, I think we said it last episode as well, but here, this just felt like, this felt like George. He's Absolutely. never felt more like George and what he's particularly in the... um. You know, describing that the prison breaks, the prison break after the breakup of the relationship. That was my favorite moment, by the way, the, the prison break story. <laughs> but uh, his his reaction to the the price for the the chiropractor and swallowing the fly and things like that. He's he's become George, and I'm I'm so happy. I'm so excited now. Doing a bit of reading about this episode, there was um, a link to a uh, a review of the of this episode where they talked about. Yeah, the blossoming of George as a character and how he sort of emerged as, and this is a quote, uh, this weird dark shadow of Larry David's mind. I mean, this is, I think this is this is where it becomes evident that the show is called Seinfeld, but it's very much a Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David collaboration. And there's, I think there's as much of Larry David in there as there is Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, if and not more, if not more. Yeah, yeah. And I mean... As I've said previous episodes about uh, of talking Seinfeld, I'm not really a Curb Your Enthusiasm guy. I can appreciate it, the episodes that I've seen. I mean, my buddy Steve is a huge fan of it. He keeps trying to turn me on to it, and I'm like, I get it, and I can appreciate it, and I, I dig that it's very funny for what it is, but it's just not my particular style of comedy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not big on stuff that makes you kind of cringe, where people are just really reveling in bad behavior. Not reveling in bad behavior, but... The show is kind of reveling in their bad behavior. It's it's something that I it it just doesn't really uh, really key into it for me. But yep. I know what watching George do it in this in this episode in particular. It's kind of like mm, yeah, getting it, feeling it, kind of enjoying it. Maybe it's because I don't know. I can relate to the guy just too much. hundred oh, percent. Do Do you think you would appreciate Curb more? Because I'm a big fan. I do love Curb Enthusiasm. Do you think you would like Curb more? If the format was your typical sitcom in front of an audience with a canned laughter, no, I think I think one of the reasons that I, as I said, admire it rather than like it is it it it's yeah it, it's not that it, it doesn't feel like tonight on Curb Your Enthusiasm and it, it it just it feels like a more of a slice of life than uh, than a sitcom episode or or, yeah. or, than, or than a typical sitcom, but yeah for some reason it's just we've never been able to quite uh, quite gel. Look, there may there may come a time, probably during prolonged isolation or whatever, and we're like, I've run out of things to watch, and I'll say, okay, time to tackle Curb, and that's when we'll really be made for each other. But 
Who knows? But this episode, The Ex-Girlfriend, and once you get past the opening um, bit of Jerry stand-up, George talking about uh, having wanting to break up with Marlene and really painting it as like, I'm the victim here, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, oh, I think I've probably done that. <laughs> you know, or I think I've probably thought this or at least or said this or whatever. And it, it's really articulating stuff that's, I think you kind of keep secret, maybe even from yourself, where you're kind of like, oh, mm, no, I'd, I'd like to think if I was in a relationship that wasn't working for me, I'd be kind of gentlemanly and honourable about it. And George is kind of the opposite of that. Yeah, I think Jerry found his place in this episode too, because George, I feel like in the first few episodes, he sort of had two guys that were balls to the wall. Not Jerry, not so much as George, but you had Jerry, he was a little bit amped up, where here, he's a little more subdued, which goes yeah. well against George's craziness. Yeah, they found a good sort of a good chemistry, a good dynamic to work with one another. Yeah, George is at if you do if you're looking at a volume switch, George is maybe at about seven or eight most of the I was time. Say Jer- eight o'clock. Yeah, eight, yeah. Yeah, and Jerry's usually about five or six. And and those two work for one another. Yeah. And Kramer would eventually become ten, but he's still at like a four or five, I feel like. He's still Yeah. And he's still the- he's he's weird, but he's not crazy yet, you know? Yeah, but I I this was probably one of the first times since we've been uh, talking about Seinfeld on Talking Seinfeld that this was the Kramer that I liked or this is a Kramer that I could at the very least tolerate and slightly enjoy. I mean, the bits with the cantaloupe, just the little bit with the golf club where he comes in and he's sort of talking about, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, this is just enough. Or even the first time you see him when he comes in and he answers Jerry's buzz and says, come yeah. on up. And, you know, I... I don't know if he heard who was there. I think he just sort of said, yeah, come on up. <laughs> I, I like that. I thought that that worked for me. So, and what I liked and, also too was he's not there to annoy Jerry. He was actually looking out for Jerry with the cantaloupe. Oh, yeah. He, he really was enjoying that cantaloupe and he wanted everyone to sort of share in his good fortunes. Like, I found a really good cantaloupe or a really good cantaloupe place. Here, try some of this. And, yeah. um, you, you can't eat that shit. You've, you know, I'm going to take it back for you. I'm going to take it back. You can have some good cantaloupe. <laughs> <laughs> that the whole thing with taking back fruit or something like that i think that really exemplifies the whole seinfeld not jerry seinfeld but the whole seinfeld show style of comedy it's just like it's just a little thing that's probably happened to everybody or a lot of people but it's like oh yeah I'm not, well i'm not taking back fruit they sum it up perfectly fruit's a gamble you know you if you go into a supermarket or a market or whatever and you're picking pieces of fruit out of the pile or whatever there's a good chance you'll get end up with something bruised or something that's rotten or maybe just you know it was a bad batch you don't, you like, can't take it back though <laughs> you can't take it yeah I mean, what are you what are you going to do you're going to go down to fruit shack this is a Geelong reference by the way <laughs> yeah, yeah. um you know with an apple with a bite out of it and say it's not working for me give me back my what 20 cents or whatever Shout I mean, out to our local fruit, uh, Nardi, by the way. That's our, that's our local shop. <laughs> which one, Where's Nardi at? That's on, uh, this is completely local, uh, Thompson Road, just outside the golf course estate where I live here. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. No, I've driven past there plenty of times. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fruit shack on Shannon Avenue guy. Yeah, 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 that. yeah. Or if you, if you want to be upmarket, you go to Geelong Fresh Foods on Paco, which is kind of where, where, where the, the height and, oh, no, where the, uh, the Newtown mums Go yes, to, uh, go to one, get their 100%. food. 100%. What, what, yeah. If all you listeners out there, by the way, we're in isolation at the moment, local businesses struggling, don't buy your fruit from the supermarket, go to your local dealer. Absolutely. Good point, Dando. I was about to say, when you're a bit tight, yeah, go to Fruit Shack. <laughs> I mean, that they're, they're lo- I think their uh, slogan is actually, saves you money. And I'm like, <laughs> legit. Is there, a better sl- is there a better slogan than that, though? It's to the point. Absolutely exactly not. what you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, we could talk about- Saves uh, you money. We could talk about local fruit purveyors all day long. Yeah, fruit's a gamble, I think. And yeah, that's a really, that's a good Seinfeld gag. But see, you're exactly right there because we just had a two-minute discussion about local fruit dealers. And that's what Seinfeld, or doing a podcast about Seinfeld, brings out in you. Discussions yeah. about useless shit that you, everyone encounters in the day-to-day life, but they just never really discuss it with other people. Like, yeah. I've, I've, we've, like you said, we've all had that moment where we thought, oh, this is a piece of, shit piece of fruit, wish I could take it back, but you just can't. But you mm. never discuss that with somebody else. Where Seinfeld, they, they, they discuss it and you're like, yeah, that person's like me. I have yeah. that problem too. And the genius of, uh, of, of uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David is they're able to take that, weave a few decent gags into it, and now they're worth, you know, a billion dollars a piece. So good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
That is a good one, Stu. Yeah. One of my favorites. Uh, what was your favorite moment from the episode? As I said, my favorite episode was the. Uh, I thought my favorite moment, sorry, was um, George describing him breaking up with Marlene as a prison break. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a really good analogy. You're right. It is a good piece. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, I think mine was probably just that opening scene with George. He's just a master of justification and uh, he's really looking out for his own best interests here or, you know, he just doesn't want to be in this relationship anymore. And But he sort of, he turns it back on, turns it on himself like, I want to, but I'm too nice. And all that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're a nice person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Jerry sort of being an enabler. I, thought, I, I just thought that bit was really, I thought it was right on the money uh, in terms of its psychology. I thought it was just really well written and it was very well uh, acted and performed by, by Jason Alexander and, and Jerry. I thought it was great. It felt unscripted to me, even though I know it was scripted, but it just mm. felt unscripted. It felt real. Well, I think this is where, yeah, Jason Alexander is just really getting into the groove. I think he recognises that he's got a character who could be viewed as kind of iconic here. A character who's just not... Uh, he's a terrible person, but not a terrible person in the way like serial killers or something are terrible, just a run-of-the-mill terrible person, but terrible in the way that most of us are terrible. But this guy sort of just lets it all out. I mean, he's got no filter. And I think Alexander recognises that and just like... You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going for it. I'm gonna steer it right into this, and it paid off because I mean, I honestly, this is a real, this is one of the best, most memorable, most keep going back to the word iconic, but uh, portrayals of that kind of selfishness and neurotic kind of behaviour, um, and pulling off that balancing act of like, this guy's terrible terrible person but, <laughs> but I like can't him. stop watching him and kind of like him and kind of relate to him so <laughs> look jason alexander he, he has, he's had a career outside seinfeld as well i think when the time comes uh, he shuffles off this mortal coil his obituary will be george from seinfeld it's not necessarily a bad thing to have because i mean he's yeah created a real comic masterpiece here i think sorry that, that sounds very flowery and over the top but i mean it's it's a yeah, it's an incredible performance, an incredible sort of sustained exploration of character, and it's just kind of merciless as well. I mean, yeah, he's just playing this this kind of schmuck, but doing it so perfectly. It's it's really good. Yeah, I think this episode really kind of reignited my affection for appreciation of Seinfeld as a show. I was going to say the exact same thing. It wasn't until I've started going here and actually reviewing these episodes that I've really appreciated everything that goes into each character and what the actor brings to the role. Yeah. This episode just felt really well written. There was a lot happening. There's a lot of detail that goes into every sort of, um, every exchange, every scene. And uh, yeah, they everyone sort of performs the hell out of it. I mean, you see it when Elaine gets into the car after they've had that first bit together. Uh, when you know, Jerry and George have had their first conversation, then Elaine yeah. gets in. And Elaine, well, you know, Elaine is a character and Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus as, as an actor, they're a real master of sort of packing details in the story. I mean, she's just going hell for leather about this story about this acquaintance in the hallway and just how their relationship went from, yeah, we were great friends and now it's... It felt like someone you know was getting into the car and talking about shit that happened to them. Yeah, just felt like a, like a fly on the wall, real conversation. Absolutely. Now, my apologies. I've got uh, I've got Count Basie the cat in the recording studio, aka my bedroom, with me, and he's sort of he's very curious about everything that's going on here. So, um, <laughs> if we do have to pause at some stage to let him out, um, I'll I'll let you know. But uh, yes, he's that um, is fine. That, that he, is he's fine. Very I'm recording much in our, I'm recording in our bedroom as well because. My wife, you know, the whole isolation thing. She's work- Nicola's working in the um in the studio. She's taken up the desk, and I oh. I couldn't budge her out. She would not move. Um, so I'm now in the bedroom, <laughs> sitting on the floor. <laughs> oh, man. welcome to my world. Um, but but you you mentioned Elaine. I also did love Julia. Uh, Julia when she did, was discussing the um, uh, when she confronted the guy. Yeah. Just you f- listen up, you phony. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry just you called him a phony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she just seems so sweet in that moment. Like she wouldn't normally do this, but she was so mm. proud of herself. There's a couple of moments here where the characters did stuff that they they feel like they normally wouldn't do, and they were proud of themselves. So Elaine confronting that guy was one, and George 
breaking up with Marlene. That's the other. He was so proud of himself. That's oh, what made that scene yeah. so funny. He was so happy with himself. I was in the moment. I'm like, you're going for it. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had to sort of to break up with someone like that. But, yeah, it's it's no fun. I don't know. Watching this episode, I was thinking about, you know, it's I, I don't want to sort of generalise about genders or anything like that. But speaking personally as a, as a, as a man, I mean, even speaking personally as guy, I was like, I always feel like it's a huge act of generosity when anyone goes out with me in the first place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I completely agree. I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, I've only broken up with somebody once, and it's because I found out they were cheating on me. Otherwise, okay. I would never break up with somebody. <laughs> Whole, wholly justified then. But I mean, it's like this person has been nice enough to spend time, maybe remove remove items of clothing in my presence. <laughs> it would be terrible of me to say, uh, yeah, that that just didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> of course there are other reasons but um yeah so that's why i really sort of empathized with george when he was saying all that kind of stuff we should also mention um what trace uh, uh, my maybe just pronounce her last name colis tracy colis yeah i was thinking what, about she, them, I colis or colis yeah but- colis yeah yeah so she played marlene i think what also made this episode so great was that it was believable that she was able to seduce jerry because she was just very good at the role like she I would fall in love with her. <laughs> oh, she was she was very sexy. But the thing of it was, the not, first ju- time not, we- not, ju- not just that, she just seemed like, I mean, obviously she was a bit overbearing. She called a lot. She just seemed like a cool chick. Got in, jumped in the pool and just up for a good time. Well, I must admit, I mean, the the first time we see her uh, when she's uh, with Jerry at the, at the diner or whatever, and she's sort of telling that story, it's like, yeah, this woman kind of seems like a bit of a non-event. <laughs> She's telling that story about, well, yeah, I guess, but it, she's telling it in such a kind of dullish way that I'm like, yeah, I can I can see why George would want to go out with her, but I could see why he'd want to break up with her. And um, But yeah, the further the win episode went along, and you know, particularly when she's sort of putting on the bedroom voice kind of thing. I mean, maybe that was just generally a voice, but when she was being seductive, I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd be all in on this as well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, this was actually the um, the first episode filmed at the CBS Studio Center in Studio City in LA, which is where the show was filmed from here on in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was previously filmed in Hollywood. So I think just things like that. And I, was this the first time we saw restaurant, Tom's Restaurant, the exterior, or was that in the previous episode as well? I I think it might be the first time. I mean, I'd have to double check that, but uh, yeah. But uh, just just in a, seeing, in a lot of ways, ex- yeah. Just seeing that exterior and just obviously it was filmed in the in the studio they always film in. It just felt. It just felt like Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Not just in terms of the uh, the tone and the, the 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 pace and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, it, also in the look. Yeah, it, it it started to feel more like, oh yeah, this is that show that they kept repeating all the time, and that I would catch either religiously or occasionally. Uh, but oh yeah, this feels like Seinfeld. So there you yeah. go. Uh, did you see who else applied for the role? Oh, sorry, auditioned for the role for uh, for Marlene. I saw one or two. Now I, I knew that I saw that uh, the actress Jerry Ryan, not Jerry, but Jerry with an I, uh, who's seven of nine on one of those Star Trek shows, uh, was one of them. Voyager, but also, yep. but also, um, Amy Yazbek was she plays Casey on Wings. Okay, yeah, yep. and, and, and we also had the uh, probably the most iconic one was Heidi, who ended up going on to Heidi Swedberg, who ended up going to play Susan Ross, who was uh, George's fiance. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to remember her name, but um, oh, good lord! Well, yeah, it's a it's a good part. I mean, it's 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 got its own little sort of arc as a. I mean, it, you know, she's only in a few scenes, but she yeah, she makes a, a big impression. And well, the, I don't know the if Tracy named after her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Tracy Collis went on to to do much else. I mean, I'll have to check her IMDb page, but no, she's really good in this. Um, certainly in this episode. Yeah, and she actually reappears uh, as a different she character. Does. She does. As a waitress in, um, in The Soup from season six. Season six. Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. All righty, it's time for some trivia. Uh, you've got several questions. I've got several questions. The first question for you, Mr. Davis, is what movie does Jerry compare a relationship to? Oh, man. A movie that I feel like you would have adored in the 80s. Oh, for the life of me, I'm blanking. Um, oh, no, 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 no. I do know it. It's the blob. The blob. Yeah. Did you like that? I feel like you were. I've, I, I, I could see you being a fan of just not B grade, but just cheesy horror films. I am not afraid to admit that I have owned the 1988 remake of the Blob in various um, 
uh, forms. I think I, I don't know if I had it on VHS, but I certainly had it on um, on DVD. And then I recently bought a um, there's a, a very good company in the US called Scream Factory. Uh, mm-hmm. I know sh- that. Yep. Shout out to Screen Factory, uh, if you're listening, um, who who do really sort of good uh, transfers and uh, bonus features for a lot of sort of cult titles. I got a I got a shit ton of their uh, of their stuff, and they put out a really good version of the Blob not long ago. So um, I might have to borrow that from you. You may have to. Uh, it, uh, they're only region A, unfortunately. That, that's the. That's, thing, I've so. got a, a region coded Blu-ray player. It's all good. Nice. Um, yeah. So um, I'm big. I'm a big fan of the Blob. I actually saw it at the cinema. Oh no shit! We saw everything at the cinema. <laughs> See, that, but they didn't—they didn't bring it down to Geelong. I had to venture up to Melbourne to go to the. Um, okay. It was either Hoyt Cinema Centre or Hoyt's Mid City on Burke Street. Oh. That's where I live vicariously through you because all these blockbusters that I wish I was, uh, you know, alive and existing when they first came out, so I can go to the cinema <laughs> and experience them. Things like Star Wars and Jaws and things like that. You got to experience them when they first came out. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it was good times. Good, good times. Uh, so, what is the first question from yourself? Ah, uh, first question for myself. Uh, Jerry talks about uh, the sort of dates that he's been on with Marlene. Mm-hmm. Um, there are three somethings and a something. Do you remember what they are? Three somethings and a something. What do you mean yeah. by that? I well, he says that, that uh, you know, I've been spending a bit of time with Marlene. You know, it's it's we had it's been three somethings and a something that we've done. Oh, no. It's lost on me. Damn it. What is it? It's three lunches and a movie. Three lunches and a movie. Okay. Yeah. No, I do he's, not. I don't. That completely lost on me. I not remember that at yeah. all. Yeah. I think he's saying, uh, he's saying eh, look, we haven't really done anything. You know, he's sort of, te- he's wondering if he should tell George. Yeah. Okay. He's been yeah so he's talking to Kramer. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, eh, we haven't done a whole lot. It's just three lunches and a movie. Uh, how much is a pound of cantaloupe at Joe's? Oh. I'm, I must admit, I, I heard this, but I didn't hear it. So, no, I'm okay, going to have to. Here we go. I'm, I'm taking the L on this one. San Francisco NFL team. Oh, is it, what, 40, 49? 49? 49 cents, yes. Wow. <laughs> oh, by the way, since we're talking American sports, I've watched the first two episodes of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan thing. It's really good. Finally. Right. Yes. Got it. Best sports <laughs> documentary of all time. So good. It's it's really good, yeah. I mean, watch the first episode, and I was at home, the lovely Louise is at her place, and I said, oh, I'm watching this thing on Michael Jordan. She goes, oh, well, I'm looking for something to watch. Oh, I'll watch that. She texts me back, this is pretty good. I said, okay, well, we'll start watching this together. So then yes. we, so we went and watched We watched the second episode last night with a bit of Scotty Pippen and a bit the of- Next old, one's on, on the rod. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, look, it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's the, this, this whole sort of clash of personalities and all these- Really, sort of driven. I mean, yeah, Jordan's a fascinating character. I mean, I didn't really, I only knew sort of the basics about him. I need, I didn't know a lot of this stuff about him. So it's yeah, incredible to watch. My next question is, I oh, know, sorry, it's your question now. Is it my question now? Okay, then it's your chance um, to get me again. Indeed. How much? Was did I ask a question already? No, I didn't. You asked me about uh, three lunches uh, in a movie. About three lunches. Yes. Oh yes, and it. then you asked me about cantaloupe. Now I'm going to ask you. How much does it cost for a consultation with a chiropractor? I believe it's $75. $75? What am I, seeing Sinatra? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot of money. $75 US dollars. It'd be like, a, it's well over $100 here. <laughs> Absolutely. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be paying it either. <laughs> for, for a two-minute consultation when you don't even sort of get cracked at all. No, that's No, terrible. no, no. What book? does Jerry uh, get for George that he mentions? So we know at least one book title that he mentions to George. And he says, after you reread it, this happens at the end. Yeah. Did, what, did he actually get Moby Dick for him? Is that it? I thought, oh, okay. Well, I assumed it was Moby Dick because I assumed it was one of George's books because he mentioned yeah, Moby Dick. Yeah, no, I just thought he was not, sort of, okay. okay. I just thought he was sort of like, <laughs> yeah, I thought he was just uh, being a bit snarky and saying, you know what happens in Moby Dick? You know, the second time you read it. <laughs> Yeah, Captain Ahab and the Whale are good friends. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very Jerry kind of line that. Yeah, um, it was just, it was. I did appreciate that too. The the whole book discussion of why do you have this fascination with books? You've read it, but why do you still need it? <laughs> I no, I'm very, I'm Team George as I am with a lot of things. Oh yeah, oh. so so am I. But I just, I can understand that other point of view though. <laughs> I can. That is true. If I lend books or or DVDs or something to someone, I tend to. Be like, uh, 
you know that thing I let you? I'm, oh, yeah, do you mind if, I, uh, mind if I grab it back? It'll be a little while later on, but uh, I'm, it's always in the back of my mind. It's like, you lent so-and-so to such-and-such. Don't forget that. <laughs> You'll need it back or you want it back. I- I can't lend books to people because I just have this thing about them turning the pages wrong and ruining the pages. I just have this I just have this thing. I hate the pages being damaged in my books. And I lent a book out, I don't know, about a year ago to a friend, a wrestling book. And it came back and he'd been bending the the, the corners to know oh, where he dog, was up in the book. Dog-earing the pages, yeah. Oh, I mean, mate. I do that. Not if it's someone else's book, though. Oh, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> I was so disappointed. <laughs> I had a... Um, well, I still have it. But as a... A terrific vampire movie from the 80s called Near Dark. Um, okay. It's one that I highly recommend. But I um, I had imported a DVD of it. This is ages ago from yep. the UK. And it, was like, it wasn't quite my pride and joy, but it was like, mm, this is a pretty high-end copy. Mm, very proud of this. And a, a buddy of mine was like, oh, have you got Near Dark? Oh, I'd really love to check it out. Oh, it's got those special features. Oh, I'd love to see it. So I lent it off, and it's got like it came in like a cardboard kind of case. Came back, I don't know if his dog had been to town or something, but it's like, what the hell, man? All the yeah. all the all the corners are kind of bent, and there's a little bit of a tear there. What the hell? Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually. Say, I, did, I was very George because I didn't say this to him, but it's kind of like I don't think I'm going to be lending you anything else. Oh, you, you would have said something to me if you were a different person. Oh yeah, I love that. <laughs> I, I, that oh, was a man. really good line in this episode, actually. I, I'd confront it. Yeah, if I was a different person, absolutely. <laughs> uh, what's your final question? And we'll get to the review. Okay, then. Um, when did Marlene see Jerry's act? And what was her problem with it? She thought there's too much fluff and it was on a Tuesday night. Correct. Oh, well done. Um, it's funny because I hate... Didn't see that coming at all, her breaking up with Jerry. It was a good twist. It, it was good, wasn't it? I mean, and she was kind of merciless about it. I mean, well, actually, no. <laughs> but no, she, was I mean, just throwing, she was just throwing it back to Jerry, what he would normally do to other people. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, and you could tell that she was trying to soft pedal it to begin with, and then it's like, uh, no, it's just, it was just too much fluff. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you really want to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> Come on the weekend. If you feel like having yourself a time, then check out our new podcast, Going Down to South Park, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series, dissecting the stories, reveling in chef sing-alongs, and chuckling at the occasional fart joke. Going Down to South Park is available now for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Talking Seinfeld and want to show some support, you can do so by joining the Talking Seinfeld family on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per month, you can get access to a whole range of exclusive content, including bonus podcasts, access to our exclusive Facebook community, prize draws, Zoom calls with Guy and myself, as well as early access to all the other shows we host here on the Four Finger Discount Network, including this, the one about friends, going down to South Park, Four Finger Discount, the movie guys, oh, and let's not forget our Patreon exclusive series, Tales of Futurama. So go ahead and join the Talking Seinfeld family today at patreon.com slash discount. If you're looking for a podcast that'll always be there for you, look no further than our new show, The One About Friends, hosted by myself and my incredible wife, Nicola. She is literally the biggest Friends fan I know, so who better to help me as we revisit every single episode of the show, discussing the characters, fashion trends, and how this iconic series still relates to our lives to this day. The One About Friends is available now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. The original air date of The Ex-Girlfriend was January 23rd, 1991, nearly 30 years ago, Mr. Davis. Goodness gracious me. Holy moly. You, 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 were, ba- you were barely born. Were you born? I was, I was uh, not quite 18 months old. <laughs> <laughs> the episode kicks off with some stand-up, as each episode does. Um, this one was about the, the traffic, the lane changes. Completely relatable. I, I, it does annoy me when people go from lane to lane to lane, and if someone's in my lane... And then they change into the next lane because they want to try and overtake the person in front of me and then realize that they can't because there's a car parked or something. You ain't getting back in front of me. You, you gave <laughs> up your spot. You stepped out of line, my friend, back to the end. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah, no, I can, I can see where you're coming from. And look, I'm, I have certainly noticed when I've been, oh, back in the times when we used to drive from Geelong to Melbourne, there would certainly be occasions where I was like, mm, yeah, I don't think this lane's actually doing it for me. I think I'll get there a, maybe 30 seconds faster if I move into this <laughs> lane. 
and then of course you get into that lane and you know, there's someone in there who's just like, mm, I'll get there when I get there. It's I like, don't oh, think so. Uh-uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I am a perpetual kind of lane changer in that regard. And yeah, I'm probably pissing people like you off. Nicola, is, she's, a, she's a zippy driver and it drives me insane. I'm, 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 I'm partial to a good zip. Not to the point where I'll you know, be driving around like bloody Vin Diesel. That's kind of my go-to line. Anytime I see someone on the highway who is just, you know, changing lanes like crazy and going 10 to 20k over the speed limit, I'm like, yeah, take it easy, Toretto. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I found myself saying that all the time, like the old man that I am. So the episode kicks off with the Jerry and George conversation in the car discussing uh, George's girlfriend, Marlene. She can't kill me, right? No, of course not. People break up all the time. Every day. It just didn't work out. What can I do? I wanted to love her. I tried to love her. I couldn't. You tried. I'd be looking at her face and go, come on, love her. Love her. Did you tell her you loved her? Oh, I had no choice. She squeezed it out of me. She'd tell me she loved me. All right. So at first I'd just look at her. I'd go, oh, really? Or, uh, boy, that's... That's something, but eventually you have to come back with, well, I love you. You, know, you can only hold out for so long. You're a human being. I didn't even ask her out. She asked me out first. She called me up. What was I supposed to do, say no? <laughs> I can't do that to You're someone. too nice a guy. I am. I'm a nice guy. And then she seduced me. We're in my apartment. I'm sitting on the couch. She's on the chair. I get up to go to the bathroom. I come back. She's on the couch. What am I supposed to do? Not do anything? I couldn't do that. I would have insulted her. You're flesh and blood! I had nothing to do with any of this. I met all her friends. I didn't want to meet them. I kept trying to avoid it. I knew it would only get me in deeper. But they were everywhere. They kept popping up all over the place. This is Nancy. This is Susan. This is Amy. This is my cousin. This is my brother. This is my father. It's like I'm in quicksand here. I told you when I met her. I think this. I think this moment is possibly the most real conversation we've had on Seinfeld so far. Like I said before, I was doing some reading about various reviews of of the show and how it sort of came a, came into itself in season two. And there's a quote that someone points out: the absurd humour of the deeply mundane. And uh, I thought, yeah, that's that pretty much sums it up very nicely. Uh, and that's yeah, that's what this conversation is. Everyone's. Well, pretty much everyone's had to break up with someone at some stage, whether it's, you know, a partner or a spouse or even a friend or something like that. But uh, Quitting a job even. If Yeah. If you've been in a position where it's like, oh, yeah, someone has done right by me or someone has let me into their life, whether they've taken a punt on you as an employee or they've welcomed you into their bedroom, it's kind of like, oh, that was real nice of them. It's a, sh- <laughs> it's a, it's a shame it's just not what I want. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Jerry's delivery, by the way, breaking up is like a band-aid, just rip it off. Take it right off. Like, so great. (laughs) And yeah, sort of classic Jerry voice, take it off. And it's great because they played up later in the episode when George throws it back in his face. Oh, yeah. Even this whole conversation. So this is the conversation that Jerry has with Kramer later on, except the roles are reversed. Oh, When Jerry's telling Kramer, but but Kramer's playing the role of Jerry and Jerry's playing the role of of George. (laughs) I did like that. And I'm... We'll we'll get to that when we get to that, but yeah, I mean that again. That was another reason why I, I kind of liked Kramer in this episode. But we'll we'll talk about that when we get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where we get Elaine. She arrives. She doesn't want to sit in the back because she'll feel like she's out of the conversation, which is completely understandable because it does happen. But then we get the uh, the homophobic. What, what do you think of the whole homophobic angle here? I, th- I that was. I mean, hom- I don't think homophobia was a word that was used all that often in sort of mainstream culture back in ninety one. I think it's used a lot more frequently these days, or it's sort of become part of the part of the vocab. Certainly, the twenty tens, twenty twenties, mean maybe even earlier than that. But it, it just didn't. It didn't feel like uh, as much of a buzzword back then. So yeah, it was interesting to hear it. I don't know. I can probably see where George is coming from as well. I think it would look weird. Well, I think it always looks weird in those American shows when you've got three people sitting in the front seat of a car. It's like where's where's the hand? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, where's the handbrake? Yeah, yeah. What's going on? Um, <laughs> but you do have three seated cars, though. I guess you do. Yeah, but mm, I don't know. I'm always right. just anyway. used to. There's two people in the front, and then the rest yeah. of the people go in the back. That's how that works. Where, where am I going to put my drink? Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say another. Uh, it almost became my favorite moment because it was just so subtle. But I just loved it. I laughed out loud. 
New haircut, Jerry? Nope, just had a shower. Yeah, I like that as well. <laughs> so this is where Elaine discusses uh, the teacher who lives in her apartment building uh, doesn't want to talk to her anymore. The polite nodding. Tell me if you think this is strange. There's this guy who lives in my building who I was introduced to a couple of years ago by a friend. He's a uh, teacher something. Anyway, after we met, whenever we'd run into each other in the street or in the lobby or whatever, we would stop and we would chat a little bit. Nothing much, little pleasantries. He's a nice guy. He's got a family. Then after a while, I noticed there was no more stopping, just sort of saying hello and continuing on our way. And then the verbal hellos stopped, and we just went into these little sort of nods of recognition. So, fine. I figured that's where this relationship is finally going to settle. Polite nodding. Then one day, he doesn't nod. <laughs> like, I don't exist? He went from nods to nothing. No, I go from nods to And now there's this intense animosity whenever we pass. I mean, it's like we really hate each other. It's based on nothing. A relationship is an organism. You created this thing, and then you starved it, so it turned against you. Same thing happened in the blob. I think you absolutely have to say something to this guy. Confront him. Really? Yes. Would you do that? If I was a different person. <laughs> so Jerry's compared the relationship to, to the blob. I can see his point. <laughs> I, th- I think it was a really astute view of relationships by Jerry. I mean, because, I mean, you've, cr- you've created this organism, but, it, you know, it just doesn't exist by itself. Any relationship that you want to succeed and evolve and keep moving forward, you have to feed it. It's not enough to sort of be, oh, we're two people who like each other. Cool, let's just hang out. No, I mean, if you want it to... Not very stagnant. Yeah, you've got to you've got to put the work in, and you know, sort of, <laughs> you've got to ask how the day went, and you've got to you know do stuff. So just ask how was your day? How, how have you been? It's like this yeah. in this whole isolation. It's like at the end of it, you got to remember who the people were that checked in to see how you were doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and and for for you, dear listeners, that's us here on Talking Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're at Jerry's apartment. He's called the wrong number. Kramer arrives, and it's what you said earlier, where he just let the buzzes George up without even really seeing if it's George. Kramer uh, tries to force Jerry to taste this new cantaloupe that he's just purchased from Joe's because he thinks it's the greatest cantaloupe he's ever tasted. Um, he, he says to Jerry, well, "What? Wh- where do you get your cantaloupe from? When do you get it from Joe's?" And Jerry sort of says, "You know, it's because it's so far away. Take a shopping cart." And then he's <laughs> describing himself dressing up like a, a an old woman. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I think I I don't know if it's. This actually was the case, but it looks like that Jerry sort of breaks a bit when he's sort of picking the melon off the uh, off the fork. Like he's oh really? Yeah, like he's about to sort of like break into a giggle or something because he's now just so, so t- tickled by Michael, but by what Michael Richards is doing. Yeah, he's just they cut away just in time before he starts. You know, before he breaks into a laugh. I noticed that as well when George thought he swallowed the fly. I felt like Jerry was about to crack there as well. <laughs> Taste this. No, I, I just had a sandwich. No, taste, taste it. I, I don't want cantaloupe. No, you never had cantaloupe like this before. I only eat cantaloupe at certain Jerry, this times. this is great cantaloupe. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. huh? It's good. very good. Good, huh? Good. I got it at Joe's. Uh-huh. 49 cents a pound. Mm. That's practically half of what you're paying at the supermarket. I don't know why you don't go to Joe's. It's too far. It's three blocks further. You can use my shopping cart. <laughs> I'm not pulling a shopping cart. What am I supposed to wear a kerchief, put stockings on, and roll them down below my knee? See, the other thing is, if you don't like anything, takes it right back. I don't return fruit. Fruit's a gamble. I know that going in. Um, George is so happy that he uh, he has broken up with Marlene, and we get what I think is the best moment in the whole episode: the, the prison break sequence. You did it? What happened? I told her. In the kitchen, which was risky because it's near all the knives. <laughs> I started with the word listen. I uh-huh. said, listen, Marlene. And the next thing I know, I'm in the middle of it. And there's this voice inside of me going, you're doing it. You're doing it. And then she started to cry. And I, I weakened a little bit. I almost relented. But the voice, Jerry, the voice said, keep going, keep going. You're almost out. It's... It's like I was making a prison break, you know, and I'm, I'm heading for the wall, and I, I trip, and I twist my ankle, and they throw that light on you, you know? <laughs> so, somehow, I get through the crying, and I keep running. 
Then the cursing started. She's firing at me from the guard tower. Son of a bang! Son of a boom! I get to the top of the wall, the front door. I open it up. I'm one foot away. I take one last look around the penitentiary, and I jumped. See? Never as bad as you imagine. I like that, Marlene. What's your number? Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. How great. Even the physical comedy of, you know, when they shine the light on you and you hide against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you can sort of see that uh, I think Alexander had a bit of a, a fair bit of a stage background. I think I've said in the past that he was on Broadway and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, You can yeah. sort of see that that's the real theatre performer coming out, the real, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I'm doing miming on a podcast. But, you know, the, the hands <laughs> going up and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, They look like very stagey kind of movements. But uh, but they they work. Not every actor would be able to pull off long monologues like that. Oh yeah, true. I think and you actually you mentioned this to me a couple of weeks ago, and every time I watch this show now, it's all I can think about. When you describe the blacklist as an excuse for James Spader to be able to do long monologues about useless nothings. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, this is exactly what this show is. He just, he just goes on long tangents about nothing every episode. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if. You know, I think they want to keep Mr. Spader happy, so I was like, let's just give him a really big, juicy bone to sink his teeth into. So, you know, we'll do these monologues about, oh, yeah, I went to, um, oh, this is fanta- Zimbabwe one day. And- fanta- fantastic tailor in Italy who, you know, made this wonderful three piece suit, and then I shot him in the head. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's good brain dead television. Blacklist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so George is explaining that he's broken up with Marlene. Kramer wants Marlene's number. That didn't go anywhere. I thought that might have led to something. I thought it might have ended up with, with Marlene ending up with Kramer or something. I think it just I think it's just a nice little sort of uh, character note for Kramer. It's kinda of like Yeah, this <laughs> this guy's not sort of bound by traditional rules or anything like that. He's like as soon as the breakup I'm like, Yeah, so she, she's single. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. moving in. <laughs> Um, George refuses to taste the cantaloupe and mentions to Jerry that he's left his books behind. So he wants Jerry to uh, to go get his books now. Jerry is at Tom's with Marlene getting the books back, and this is where he unfortunately falls in love with her. Mm. Not not at first though, but he just the she uh, he doesn't fall in love here, but he's just like, yeah, maybe I do want to be friends with this person. <laughs> she seems like a whole lot of fun. It seemed like he was put in a bit of a no no win or no escape situation. It's like. You know, just because I broke up with George doesn't mean you and I can't be friends. It's like, well, what are you going to say to someone who says that? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> she knows where I live. Yeah. Um, we're at the chiropractic waiting room. Um, Jerry's annoyed that, you know, it's your fault I'm in this. I've been sucked into it. And then I love here. By the way, have you reread those books as of yet? <laughs> um, by, the, by the way, if I, I wouldn't be disrespecting a chiropractor with an earshot the way George does. If you're going to go see this person, they're going to be manipulated. I mean, I've, I've only been to a chiropractor a few times in my life. They're messing with your joints and your bones. And I mean, they could do some damage to you if they you know, click something the, right, the wrong way. I mean, oh, yeah. You would never do this in real life, but George would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, George would. That's the beauty of that's the beauty of the George character. He does everything that we'd want to do. Oh, like, yeah. I'm sure. So, I'm sure. Sometimes, I mean, if you walked into a doctor's office and just before you walked in, the chiropractor's like, "Oh, it's going to be 120 dollars consultation," you'd be furious. Right. <laughs> you'd be like, "Yeah, I'd like a, like, like a heads up beforehand, please." Yeah. yeah. What is this? What is this fucking scam? But anyway, <laughs> yeah, Jerry's annoyed that Marlene. She's apparently she's like very overbearing. Um, and uh, what what was great about this was when they were both discussing what she does and they were relating. So like the, mm. I don't know sometimes, and the, <laughs> um, you can't get her off the phone. And Jerry's like, oh my god, you're so right. And like, like it's just it felt like it just felt like Jerry, uh, Jerry and um, Jace were just sitting down, just having a conversation about somebody yeah. they didn't like. <laughs> um, and this is where George throws it back in his face about the band aid. I don't know how this happened, Jerry. It's not my fault. No, no, it's not your fault. Books, books. I need my books. <laughs> Have you reread those books yet, by the way? <laughs> you know, the great thing, when you read Moby Dick the second time, Ahab and the whale become good friends. <laughs> you know, it's not like Marlene's a bad person or anything, but my God, I mean, we've had like three lunches in a movie and she never stops calling. And it's those meaningless, purposeless blather calls. She never asks if I'm busy or anything. I just pick up the phone, and she's in the middle of a sentence. It's standard. 
Has she left you one of those messages where she uses up the whole machine? Oh, and some, you know, sometimes she'll go, hello, dearie. And I'll go, oh, hi, Marlene. And then it's, Jerry, I don't know, no, sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> what about trying to get off the phone? Oh! <laughs> you can't, it's impossible. There's no break in the conversation where you can go, all right, then. You know, it just goes on and on and on without a break in the wall. I mean, I, I gotta put a stop to this. Just do it like a Band-Aid. One motion. Right off! <laughs> she is sexy, though. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, she is. Mr. Costanza. Yeah. The doctor will see you now. Yeah. Doctor. <laughs> I'm gonna have to wait in that little room all by myself, aren't I? I better take this. I hate the little room. <laughs> oh, hello, doctor. <laughs> So we get stand up here again, um, talking about the waiting room, which was really funny at the start, but I felt it dragged a little bit towards the end. It went a little bit too long. A little bit, yeah. Are there more audience reaction shots as well in the in the stand up bits in this season? Yeah, seem to be. Seems that. Yeah, way. I, I, plus I, I do think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's been a while since I've been to the doctor because I'm as healthy as a horse, but. Um, I can't recall any pre-waiting room. Like, there's the waiting room, and then there's another room, and then there's the doctor's room. I can't recall that oh, middle so, section. I, well, I thought he was just um, saying, maybe it's different in the States, but I thought he was just meaning that you go into the doctor's room, and then they make you wait in there for a minute while they go do something else, and then come in and see you. Oh, maybe. Yeah, it just felt like that there was a, a little room in between the doctor's room and the and the major waiting room. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. That's that seem that does seem like an odd, odd concept. Yes, but Amer- I, American yeah, I, I American talk, pals. Let us know if that is actually the case. And also, yeah, get, yeah, talking also so- get well soon. TalkingSeinfeld at gmail.com. Send in. Also, don't forget to um, rate and review us in the iTunes store. That would be much appreciated as well. So more Seinfeld fans can find this show and enjoy it like you all are, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> George is annoyed with the $75, as would I. Like you said, I've seen Sinatra in there. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this, I've never heard a more George line on the show so far. I pay what I say. <laughs> True, yeah. I mean, for someone who doesn't seem to get a lot of breaks or or seems to feel that the world is against him. George is very confident. Like I pay what I say. I mean, who does that? <laughs> George apparently. Yeah. But um yeah, but I think that's that's the beauty of this character is that he has no right to say any of these things or mm. he, he has no justification for behaving this way. But he doesn't give a shit, he just does it. True. <laughs> I think and just enough stuff goes George's way either by his own behaviour or just sheer dumb luck, that he figures, yeah, I've got this, Wyatt. All right, yeah. <laughs> Costanza's, yeah, everything's coming up Costanza. So I, I think he thinks that. And if you think that, then you tend to think uh, that um, anything good that happens in your life is as a, a result of your own behaviour or your own actions. When often, oftentimes it's just like the chips just fell your way. <laughs> yeah, it's just pure dumb luck. Like Absolutely. Said. Uh, then we get the revelation that Marlene and Jerry have been smooching. They haven't. Now, just remind me, does she leave like a message for him like uh, that we hear, like a phone message? Uh, she calls She calls up when he's in the apartment with Kramer. That's right. You hear something like, did she say, do you ever, did you ever take a bath in the dark or something? Like, yes, that's, what, so that's the conversation that's coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, damn. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'd, I'd actually... <laughs> It'd be nice to get a phone call like that from someone with with that voice. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can, I can see why you know the psychosexual hold that Jerry talks about actually you know gets its gets its claws in. What was great about that was just after she she hung up, Kramer just looks at Jerry's like, who was that? Yeah. <laughs> but before that, Kramer walks in with the golf club. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, no reason at all, just to show his golf swing. It's mm. all in their hips. Like it was just. There was no need to have that scene, but it was just hilarious. Yeah, Perhaps just a nice, little, swing a nice little bridging part. Yeah, and then and then Jerry acting along. Woof, that's gone a long way. <laughs> um, Kramer demands that he takes back the cantaloupe because he says it's no good. He wants Jerry to only taste the best. Um, and then we get the phone call from Marlene. No, leave a message. I'll call you back. Jerry, have you ever taken a bath in the dark? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not talking into the soap right now. 
call me back. Uh, Marlene. Mar oh. Oh. Marlene. Yeah. I, I took her home one night. We kind of started up a little bit in the car. Well, I thought you were trying to get rid of her. I was, but she's got me, like, hypnotized or something. Does George know? No, he'd go nuts. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> I mean, I've seen her a couple of times since then, and I know I can't go any further, but... I, I just got, like, this psychosexual hold over me. I just want her. I, I can't breathe. It's like a drug. Psychosexual. <laughs> so Jerry here, he has to confess to Kramer what's been going on. He feels terrible that he kissed her. Now, and the, par the part that Richards I liked the most... Oh, sorry, Matt. But yeah. the, the part that I liked the Go. most that I mentioned earlier was, you know, when Jerry says, I feel terrible. Kramer just has this lovely smile on his face. That's exactly what I was going to say. It was yeah. so good. And that's the... Yeah, that's one of the... That's maybe the switch that flicked for me. I was like, okay, I'm warming to Kramer now. I mean, that's, it's, yeah. it's terrible behaviour. Your friend feels terrible and you go like, yeah. <laughs> but, um, He's just, just laughing at his pain. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not but even yeah, malicious. Just, it's just kind of mischievous. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's like, it, he knows he shouldn't be doing it. He's like, yeah. oh, you little, you little rascal. You. Yeah. This, <laughs> it's just like, this is a really interesting situation and I'm, I'm happy to be here for it. <laughs> um, and the term psychosexual so great <laughs> Kramer's like ooh psychosexual but then this is where they reenact the conversation from the start I don't understand people I mean why would George want to deprive you of pleasure is it just me it's partially you yeah <laughs> you're his friend I mean better that she should sleep with someone else some jerk that he doesn't even know well, he can't kill me, right? You're a human being. I mean, if she called me. I never called her. She started it. You're flesh and blood. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> Absolutely great stuff. Just, yeah, Seinfeld's just, it's its really hit its stride now. I know it's only the first episode of season two, but it's no wonder why it became such an uh, iconic show. Mm. Elaine arrives, this is going to be one of my trivia questions, but I forgot to mention it, with a, an airline lamp, airplane lamp. Are these a thing? <laughs> Isn't there lamps on the plane? Oh, I... I'd forgotten about that part. Oh. Yeah, Elaine walks in with a, and Jerry's like, oh, my airplane lamp. And I'm like, um, I'm pretty sure airplanes have lamps, do they not? Oh, was, but is it like a little thing that you put on a book? to? Re it wasn't little. <laughs> it was okay. pretty big. Yeah. I don't know if they still make them, but they're those things that you could, it was almost like a tiny lamp, but you could clip it onto a book. I've got one. It's it's a it's a goosebumps one from when I read my goosebumps book. Okay, yeah. Because I mean, if you're travelling on a plane, you know they've got the overhead lamps and all that, but the rest of the uh, the rest of the plane is nine night time and all the lights are out and everything. And you're the single solitary person who is not in sync with the time on the plane, and you've got your lamp on. You you feel a little self conscious. That is true. I can actually see that. Yeah, I don't. I can't read on planes or just traveling at all even on a plane even though it doesn't feel like you're traveling i get sick i get motion sickness so oh, for real? i don't have that problem oh yeah God, the, i'm terrible that's the terrible only time motion that's the only time i read i used to travel a bit for work back in the day i mean not not extensively but i'd go up to sydney a bit on and you'd have an hour flight or so it's like oh fantastic i've got an hour to do nothing except read this book um you know and when uh, the lovely louise and i went to bali last year well that's a six hour flight or something i'm pretty much powered through this novel that i'd been I'd had aside for ages. Lou was kind of like, are you, are you some kind of speed reader or something? So like, yeah, the print in this is pretty big and it's fairly plot driven. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a quick read. But um, I was just happy to have the opportunity to, oh, finally you can just read a book, do nothing, let the pilot drive. Yeah, well, what I do on a plane is at the airport, I connect to the Wi-Fi and just download the shit out of the podcast that I want to listen to. Ah, good thinking, good thinking. So yeah, so she's arrived and they had the conversation about the elevator being slower it was really great and sweet, Elaine laughing at her own joke. Dictator. It's almost like a dad joke, but Elaine said it. Uh, Elaine, she wants to try some cantaloupe, but Kramer won't let her. He said he's taking it back. And then this is where Elaine tells the story about her epic confrontation with the little phony. So, I had what you might call a little encounter this morning. <laughs> really? That guy who stopped saying hello? Yes. You talked to him? Yes, I spotted him getting his mail, and at first I was just going to walk on by, but then I thought, no, 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 do not be afraid of this man. Right. So, I walked up behind him, and I tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, hi, remember me? <laughs> and he furrows his brow. 
as if he's really trying to figure it out. So I said to him, I said, you little phony, you know exactly who I am. You little phony? I did. I most certainly did. And he said, he goes, uh, he goes, oh, yeah, you're Jeanette's friend. We did meet once. And I said, well, how do you go from that to totally ignoring a person when they walk by? This is amazing. And he says, he says, look, I just didn't want to say hello anymore, all right? And I said, fine, fine. I didn't want to say hello anymore either. But I just wanted you to know that I'm aware of it. You are the queen of confrontation. <laughs> You're my new hero. In fact, you've inspired me. I'm going to call George about something right now. So she's inspired Jerry to uh to go and break up with um oh no to go and t- is it to go and tell George yeah to go to, and tell, to tell George, George about yeah. the, the Marlene situation, um and Elaine tastes the cantaloupe and it's disgusting. That's the last of, we see of, of the cantaloupe. Of course she spits it out. I mean you've, you've, yes yeah of course we all saw that coming, but it was just a nice little button on the scene. Yeah, yeah it's, that, like, it's like the, the full stop to that story. Yeah, yeah. what did, what did she say? Oh, that's that's garbage or that's rubbish or yeah. something. Yeah, There's something on those lines. So we're now at Tom's. Um, Jerry is telling, or he's already told George, and George just doesn't care at all. He's fine. Yeah. What he does have an issue with, though, is the fact that Jerry paid the other $35 for his bill because he felt <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> I, don't, I can see where he's coming from as well. I don't know what sort of picture it paints of you if you'd sort of said, no, I'm, not, I'm only paying this much. I've got, it's a straight, deeply held moral principle that, no, I'm not paying $75 for that shit. And then your friend says, oh, I'll make up the rest. It's like, you can't go back now. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It's, what does it? What does this say about me? That like, no, it wasn't morals. I was just too cheap, or I didn't have all the money, or whatever. And is your friend going around town, sort of cleaning up after you? I'd feel pretty bad if someone did that. <laughs> <laughs> and we get the uh, the epic swallowing of the fly. That's. Like, I thought the initial fly swat was like some kind of um, uh, outtake or just a little thing that happened that they just left in for kicks and then then him actually swallowing the fly it's like why is this in it it doesn't does it add anything to the scene i mean it's funny but um it's just a repercussion for being a jerk okay (laughs) (laughs) and finally here to wrap up this episode jerry invites marlene up to his apartment but unfortunately she doesn't want to go up there she is now breaking up with him, which, as I said, what I thought was a good plot twist, which I did not see coming at all. And it was nice to see Jerry be on the other end of a breakup for mm. a change. And because it's because she saw his act, which is another revelation I didn't see coming. Uh, of all the things, it seems like the most obvious, but the fact that she break up with him because she saw his act, I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah. Like, and do, do you think it's believed? Like, do you think someone would break up? I mean, in the Seinfeld universe, it makes complete sense. But do you think if you were dating a comic, but then you didn't find that comic's material funny, could you stay with that comic? That's a tough one. Yeah, they, they say at the end, I mean, Jerry in his stand-up thing says, talks about, you know, well, women need to respect the job or that kind of stuff. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think if I was going out with someone who was, quote-unquote, creative, like an actor or a writer or whatever, and I didn't respect what they were doing, it would be a tough one for me. <laughs> that probably speaks volumes about the kind of person I am, and I've probably got to do some work on myself. But, yeah, it, it's a, it's, I think that's a tough one. Well, that's where I think the final stand-up didn't really work because he just said only women need to like their partner's job mm. where, where men don't care. I'm just like, I don't really think that matters. Like, I mean, it, it, it matters, but it's not to the point where they're going to break up with him, but I don't think. But then you've just said that you couldn't handle it. <laughs> I was like, okay, then maybe it is true. But the fact that he's just said, he said, you know, only women, they can't date men who have yeah. jobs they don't respect. I'm like, I don't, I don't, know, if he, I don't know if he believes that. I don't think he does, but I think he's just sort of like, I think he's shaped his opinion for the sake of a white dri- white guys drive cars like this and black guys drive cars like this. Um, I think it seems to be a lot of his comedy though is, you know, women, they're like this. Yeah. You know, women, when they've got their uh, their purses and women, when they're driving with the makeup and women, women, women. Yeah. I was like, I didn't really realise so much of his comedy was about he's women. He's a little more <laughs> subtle about it than like the hack stand-up comics on The Simpsons or whatever who are going to like, you know, some people do something like this and other people do something like that. He's a bit more elegant with the way he does it, but it's it's still basically the same thing <laughs> in a lot of ways. But all in all, this was, as we said at the start, uh, a fantastic season opener. I really, really enjoyed it. It felt like, the, felt like Seinfeld and I just cannot wait to sink my teeth into uh, the rest of the season. Indeed, I am looking forward to it as well. I think this has set a very good tone for um, yeah t- episodes of Talking Seinfeld moving forwards. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to our review of The Ex-Girlfriend. I hope you enjoyed it. 
Next week, we're going to be reviewing The Pony Remark, episode two from season two. Thank you so much to everyone who has taken the time to check out Talking Seinfeld, now available on all good podcast apps, iTunes, Spotify, you can listen to it on Spotify as well. Uh, also, don't forget, um, please leave us a review in the iTunes store. And if you feel like it, chuck us five stars as well. It'd be much appreciated. It's a good way to make us go up the rankings on iTunes so that more listeners can find us and more Seinfeld fans can appreciate Talking Seinfeld. Don't also forget to uh, send in your questions or just comments on the podcast to uh, talkingsideflight at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from each and every one of you. But for now, I am Dando. I am Guy. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking Seinfeld with you today, Dando. Yes, and we'll catch you guys in a couple of weeks where we discuss the Pony Remark. Catch you later, guys. So long.